Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. This will be a teaching over John chapter 20. Did you all know that Jesus makes his bed? <laughs> Listen to this. In verse 7, it says that when Simon Peter went into the tomb, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. It says he found the cloth folded up by itself, separate from the linen. The intentionality behind that is amazing. I didn't think that you could find such importance in these verses, but I was proved wrong. So here's a teaching about that, plus a bunch of other things that I missed from this chapter. Well, good morning. Welcome to another teaching. Today we're going to talk in John 20, a story about the resurrection of Jesus. Easter's coming. It's a little over three weeks. So I'm going to read it and then we'll uh, get right into it. Well, Lord Jesus, we do invite you into this time. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the tomb is indeed empty. Lord, every other historical figure is still in the grave. Muhammad is still in the grave. Buddha is still in the grave. Confucius is still in the grave. But Jesus Christ is risen. Lord, we thank you that you are risen today and that we serve a, a risen Lord and Savior who has indeed served us beyond our imagination. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We ask you to open the word of God to our hearts now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. As always, the first question we should always ask ourselves when we read the scriptures, why is this in the Bible? Why did the Holy Spirit choose to include this in the scriptures? Again, most of us tend to read the scriptures and as they're just a nice story, and we would just read that story and just move on. Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or to instruct us, not just to tell us a story. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11 tell us that these things were written down as examples to us. So we want to look in here and see what examples there are to us. When we see how Mary behaved, when we see how Jesus behaved, these things are examples to us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the principles we see in this story are the same as how he'll deal with us in the different aspects of our lives. So verse 1 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. Obviously, after the resurrection of Jesus, she is the central figure to the resurrection. The first person to see Jesus alive after his resurrection is a woman. In Luke 8, it says that Jesus drove out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. She was very much demon-possessed. Nowhere does it say she was a prostitute. That's a misconception in the scriptures. It does say again in Luke 8 that Jesus drove out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. What's extremely notable is that in the time of Jesus, the opinion of a woman carried very little value. It wasn't like in our time. So if the resurrection story was going to be made up, if someone was going to make up this whole story, this is never the narrative you would paint. If you were going to make up a story about the first person to see Jesus alive, you would make up a very notable character. You would make up some prominent man. But the scripture doesn't do that. The scripture lays it out exactly as it happened. And here we find the very first person to see Jesus alive is Mary Magdalene. And the pressing question is, why does he appear to her? And why is she the first person to witness the most significant event in the history of the world? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single and most pivotal point of the entire Bible and the single most important event in all history. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, throw the whole thing out. We have no use for our Bible. There is no God. We might as well just do everything that we do. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Make no mistake, the three most important words in all the Bible is Matthew 28, 6. He is risen. Those are the three most important words in all the Bible, the three most important words in all the world. He is risen. Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead is the single most pivotal and important event in human history and always will be. So again, back to as to why 
he chooses to reveal himself to this woman, Mary Magdalene, first after his resurrection. And we'll come to see that here very clearly. And we'll see principles about how he wants to reveal himself to us. Verse 1 says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Going to a graveyard at night is a scary thing, right? I don't know how many of us have gone into a graveyard or a cemetery at night, but, you know, your imagination will will come on you. It can be a scary thing, right? The other Gospels say that Mary went with a few other women. What's pivotal here is Mary rises early while it's still dark and goes looking for Jesus. Is this our habit today? This is a certainty. The bigger priority Jesus is in your life, the greater desire you have for him in your heart, and the greater intentionality you have in seeking him, the more certain you are to find him. Mary's heart is to go looking for Jesus. She doesn't wait till 10.30 in the morning. It's still dark. It says she rose while it was still dark and went to the last place she knew that Jesus was. Is this our habit today? Do we rise early, go looking for Jesus? If you'll get up early in the morning like Mary Magdalene, if your heart is to go find Jesus and to go seek him out before even the sun comes up, if before the sun comes up, you're looking for the Son of God, you can be sure you're going to find Jesus in a material way. His heart is to indeed reveal himself to you as he does to her. And the resurrected living Christ will reveal himself to you as he did to Mary if you have this heart in you that Mary Magdalene is in her. And that is that she wants to find Jesus. She needs to go where the last place she saw Jesus was. She rises while it's still dark. She's not concerned with being in a cemetery. She just wants to be where Jesus is. It says she went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. If you recall, it says in Matthew that they had put a very large stone and sealed it and put a guard across it. So there's an extremely heavy stone there. She goes to the tomb. The other gospel says the women say, who's going to remove the stone for us? But she's not concerned with that. She's going to go and see what the Lord has for us. This is an important lesson in our lives. Jesus wants us to walk in faith one step at a time. Oftentimes, even most oftentimes, he doesn't show us the whole picture because indeed he's wanting us to grow and walk by faith. So she knows where Jesus has been, his body has been placed. Her heart is just to walk to Jesus. And oftentimes that's all we need to do. We need to walk toward Jesus and the rest of the plan will unfold. So as she goes... She finds here that the stone's been removed. Interestingly, she still, her first inclination is not to be excited that Jesus had risen. Verse 2 says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. When it says the other disciple, it's talking about the apostle John who wrote this book. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So we can see that she, her inclination is not that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Her first thought is that someone had taken his body. Jesus had told his apostles, he had said in Mary's hearing, that he would rise from the dead three times. Um, verse 9 is going to be extremely key to this story. Her first inclination should have been that he's raised from the dead. He had explained to the disciples on numerous occasions that he would rise again. But you can see here that that's, that's not where her faith is. Her faith is that in the natural that someone has taken his body away. Um, when the truth is, when the stone had been removed away, she should have rejoiced that he had risen. And we'll, we'll see that here in a little bit. Verse 3, it says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now the other disciple, again, is the Apostle John. And on a quick note, it says here in verse 2, She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. The Apostle John refers to himself in this gospel as the one Jesus loved. The impact and the love of Jesus on this man, on the Apostle John who wrote this book, was so overwhelming. The love of Christ was so meaningful to him, was so beyond understanding, he renamed himself the one Jesus loved. It, the love of Christ was so profound to him that he started calling himself the one Jesus loved in place of his own name. That's how deeply he experienced the love of Christ. Obviously, that's Jesus' heart for you and me today. Do we know the love of Jesus on an intimate basis? Are you aware that Jesus loves you in an incomprehensible way? So much so that you're going to change your name from Stephen to the one Jesus loved. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you today as the one Jesus loved. Just take some time and pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to reveal your love to me in a way that I would know myself as the one Jesus loved. Just spend some time in prayer in that. Ask him personally to reveal himself to you as the one Jesus loved. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. It's interesting, they both take her word for it, they listen to her, and they both go running to a graveyard. Now there's some interesting pictures here we'll see. It says both were running, verse 4, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So the Apostle John, they both start running for the tomb to see this, this thing that Mary had told them, that the stone was removed. And we can see a spiritual picture here of how the body of Christ operates. We see two brothers in Christ. We see that as they're running, the Apostle John outpaces Peter. He runs faster and he gets there first. In our spiritual life, sometimes as brothers and sisters in Christ, some of us will have more zeal. Some of us will have more excitement. And some of us will consistently be, be arriving first to things because we are more zealous and we're faster to really be intentional in our Christian lives. And that's a very good thing. Uh, so John arrives first. 
but Peter's not ashamed to follow him. If you have brothers and sisters in your lives in Christ that are consistently running ahead, they have zeal for Jesus, then follow them. Peter follows John here, right? He's not ashamed to follow John. He runs and follows John's zeal. And John arrives to the tomb first. It's a beautiful picture here. Verse 5, it says of the Apostle John, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So he has the zeal to arrive on the scene and to get there, but he's afraid to go into the tomb. Again, remember, it is dark. It is a, uh, it is a cemetery. It is a tomb. The stone is missing. Remember, the disciples still are in a, a tenuous position with the authorities. You know, there's just a lot that can be going on in their minds right now with regard to fear. So he doesn't go in. So although he has a zeal for Christ, a passion for Christ, he's not as weighted down. Perhaps Peter's still weighted down. It could be a picture of Peter being weighted from denying Jesus three times. If you remember uh, in the last chapter, John stood by Jesus at his resurrection. He was really standing right there at the cross when Jesus had affirmed John and told his mother, his own mother, Mary, to go live with John. So we have an affirmation of John in chapter 19, where we find that Peter had in in Luke denied Jesus three times. So John arrives first. Peter's willing to follow behind him. And so John's zeal gets him to the tomb first. He's excited But he doesn't go in. He doesn't have the courage to go in. Now you'll see in verse 6, Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. So now we see a picture of another disciple who has this virtue of courage. Peter has the courage to go ahead and go into the tomb that John didn't have. And now John will follow him in. This is how the body of Christ ought to work. When I was studying this and looking at... uh, one of the very old church fathers, this was an observation he had that it was uh, that I found you know very insightful. This uh, I had not seen this in here, where again, this this picture here of how the body of Christ should operate. And so we all have different strengths, we all have different weaknesses. We don't want to be ashamed to to follow one another, where some of us have more zeal than others of us may have more courage. Whatever our Christian virtues are, whatever our strengths are, we want to go together. We want to work together. We want to encourage one another in them. And there's a good picture of this. You remember Jesus sent the apostles out two by two? Just this whole scene is easier to go with two people. If you had to go to a graveyard at night, at night, and go into a tomb where there were dead people, most of us would be a lot more comfortable if we had a Christian brother or sister with us right? Everything is much harder to do alone. Even if we're doing evangelism, whatever we're doing, it's easier to do when you have the encouragement of a brother or sister in Christ. And so it's a good picture of that here. It says, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus's head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. This is interesting because in Matthew, it, it says that the guards were instructed to, to tell a story and lie and say that his disciples had s- stolen the body. 
I'll say again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in all human history. Nothing compares to it. So the reason this is important is if his body was stolen, there were grave robbers in those days, and I suspect there are still grave robbers today. If you were going to if you were going to go into a tomb, you would take what's valuable. The most valuable thing in this tomb were Jesus's burial clothes. They were extremely expensive. And if you were going to rob a tomb, obviously you would go in, you would want to get in and out as soon as possible, and you would just leave everything in disarray. The fact that Peter goes in and finds the cloth around Jesus' head folded by itself, separate from the linen, and folded is a very interesting fact. It shows an intentionality of Jesus, that he wasn't scared, that he wasn't in a hurry. He rose from the dead and folded the cloth that was around his head and placed it separate from the linen. Again, someone who is robbing a grave doesn't take time to fold, you know, the linens, right? So it's a, um, it's a very interesting insight that when Jesus rose from the dead, he took the time to carefully fold up the cloth that was around his head and place it separate from the linen. So when the disciples go in, they see this picture and things are not in disarray. So again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not some haphazard, disorderly thing. It's an intentional thing marked by intentional actions, um, and we ought to see it as such. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. So again, we see the courage of Peter now emboldening John to go in as well. Peter was zealously following John who outran him. And again, we may have brothers and sisters who outrun us in our walk with God at times, and we want to be willing to follow them without pride. But then at the same time, they may have virtues that we don't have, whatever they are. They may have virtues of love or patience or generosity, and we ought to be willing to follow them. And so when Peter gets there, he has the courage to go into this tomb, and, uh, and John is emboldened by Peter's courage. And verse 8 says, finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 9 is, is a very, very pivotal verse here. It says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Whenever we have problems in our lives, any problem we're having today, really can be boiled down to verse 9, that we still don't understand from Scripture. If they had spent more time in their Bible, if they had spent more time studying the Word of God, if they had been more diligent in their Scriptures and listening to Jesus as he had told them over and over and over that he'd be crucified and he would rise on the third day, they would not be in this state of unbelief. Yes, this state of unbelief that they're in is because they had not been intentional in the Word of God. Whenever you and I have problems, and, and I have many, 
Whenever I lack faith, whenever I have unbelief, it's because I still don't understand from Scripture. I have my Bible. I have the Word of God. And if I'll spend time in the Word of God, if I'll be intentional in not only reading the Scriptures, but studying the Scriptures, taking the time to see what's in there to teach me and instruct me, Romans 15, 4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us. 1 Corinthians 10, it was written down as an example to me. If we'll give ourselves to the scriptures, we will increasingly grow and have faith. Mary, in verse 2, when her first inclination is not that Jesus had risen, but her first inclination is that they had taken his body away. If she had spent time in the scriptures, if she had studied the scriptures, her first inclination very well may have been that my Lord is risen. This cannot be overstated. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture. This is not that God was keeping them back from this. It's not that Jesus was holding them back from understanding the Scriptures. If we'll spend more time in our Bible, if you'll spend more time in the Word of God, in the first chapter of this book, Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. Remember John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Word of the living God. If you will spend more time in the Word of the living God, every single aspect of your life will take on more power, more joy, more faith, and your relationship with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit will have a growth in intimacy well beyond what you'll ever be able to ask or imagine. There is nothing in my life even comparable to the time I've spent in the Word of God when it comes to helping me really have a relationship with God. As my Father, with Jesus as my Lord, um, with the Holy Spirit, spending time in the Word of God is far and above the greatest tool we have in our toolbox to grow in our relationship and our intimacy with Jesus. Whatever you're doing today, if the word of God is not the biggest priority in your life, then repent today. Just take time and say, Lord, so many times in my life, on a daily basis really, I struggle to believe things or to relate to you because I still don't understand from scripture what Jesus wants me to know. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They could have understood from Scripture. Lord Jesus, open our hearts. Reveal to us today in, a, in whatever way we can understand, Lord, that the Scripture holds for us an understanding that if we'll only go to it, Lord, we'll have a fullness beyond our understanding, Lord. So help us to just go to the Word of God with new eyes today, with a new heart today, and with a new dedication today, Lord. That you might reveal yourself to us in ways that, uh, that, we, don't, that we presently don't understand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10 says, then the disciples went back to their homes. And this is pivotal. They didn't find Jesus 
Peter and John went there with to see what Mary had told them. They confirmed what Mary had told them, that the stone had been rolled away. But here's the thing. They went away believing what Mary originally believed, that someone took his body. They didn't go away believing that he was raised from the dead. They went home. They went to where the last place Jesus was, didn't find him there, looked around, and then went back to their homes. This is not what Mary did. The original question we asked ourselves is, why did Jesus reveal himself first to this woman, Mary Magdalene? And we're going to find the answer here. The two most important words in this entire 18 verses is verse 11. The first two words are, but Mary. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Mary didn't go home. The last place that Mary saw Jesus was at this, was buried in this tomb. She's not leaving and going home until she finds out where Jesus is. Mary rose early in the morning while it was still dark to go looking for Jesus. And now that the stone's not here, she's not going home. The body is gone. She's not going home. There is no question here that her dedication to Christ, her heart for Jesus, I'll even say her devotion to Jesus, desire for Jesus, is greater than that of Peter and John here. They go home. She doesn't go home. She stays right at that place because she's not leaving until she finds Jesus. This is the centerpiece of this teaching. This should be the cry of our hearts. The greatest example in this teaching here is Mary Magdalene. It's not the great apostle John who wrote, what, five books of the scripture. It's not the mighty pillar of the church, Peter. The great example here is Mary Magdalene, whose love for Christ, whose dedication for Christ drove her to rise early, to go to a scary place, a graveyard, in the morning. And when the great apostles leave, this woman stays because she has not found Jesus. Let that be the desire of our heart today. Now, I don't have the dedication that this woman has, but I, I, I really want to have it. I want to have this heart in me for Jesus that Mary had in her. Let it be said of you today, where it says, but Mary, put your name in there. But May, but Stephen, but Gwenda, put your name in there today. But Matthew, but Scott, but Linz, 
But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Mary didn't leave. Mary didn't leave. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Verse 12, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Whether the angels had just hidden themselves from the apostles or whether they just showed up after the apostles left, we don't know. It's possible they had just made themselves invisible. What we see here, again, is Mary's dedication waiting on Jesus just a little longer. Sometimes the Lord has, has called me to wait on him, and I, I could have missed my blessing by five minutes if I had just waited on Jesus a little longer, if I had just pressed into Jesus a little more, if I had just made Jesus a bigger priority in my life, the blessing would have been there. But instead, like the disciples, I went back home and, I don't know, put on Netflix or something, right? Looked at my Instagram. I actually don't have any social media, but you see the point. But Mary stands outside looking for Jesus. I just, uh, I'm, I'm just so blessed by this. Because of this now, she gets this vision first of two angels, which would be pretty cool, right? I've personally never seen an angel um, that I'm aware of. But the first blessing is that she gets to see these two angels. Verse 13, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They're asking her, why are you crying? Because if she had understood from the scriptures, she wouldn't be crying. She'd be rejoicing. This is not a time for Mary to be crying. This should be a time for Mary to be rejoicing. Most of us have a tendency to feel here like, well, we're, we're understanding her situation. Certainly, we can all relate to the fact that she's crying because, you know, she believes that someone had taken Jesus' body and she's unaware of the resurrection. The point of this is the actual facts are she should be rejoicing. She shouldn't be crying. Now, obviously, she's crying is because she doesn't know or understand or believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. The point is here. There are many times that we are grieved or crying or frustrated over things in our lives that truly ought to bring us joy. Does that make sense? This event is the single most joyful, important event in the history of the world. In our lives or in anyone's life, the thing that should bring us the most joy is the resurrection of Jesus. But instead, she's crying because she doesn't right now believe he's been raised from the dead. She believes that someone had taken his body. Many of the things that cause us problems today, things that the Lord allows in our lives that are difficult for us, things that cause us grief and pain, are things that the Lord often intends for our joy. Lord Jesus, I ask you to reveal to us today the things that cause us pain and frustration that you truly want to bring us joy and peace. Lord, reveal to us today, why are you crying? John, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Verse 14, Mary says, they have taken my Lord away. I don't know who they are, but she presumes someone who's taken him. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, the probability is that she doesn't see him. She doesn't recognize him, probably because because of her emotional state, because of her unbelief, because of the hysteria of the situation. She's, she's clearly emotionally compromised, which we can all understand. But again, there's a picture here of how when we get emotionally imbalanced, when we get out of place in our emotions, when we don't understand from Scripture, when the Word of God is teaching us something clearly, and yet we don't accept it or we won't believe it, we will miss Jesus standing right in front of us. Now, some think that Jesus changed his appearance. I tend to believe that Jesus hadn't changed his appearance because she's going to recognize him here in a second, right? I don't think that, you know, in verse 16, Jesus is going to say her name and she's going to recognize him, you know, I don't believe, you know, somehow he changed his appearance here in these two minutes. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, she does not realize that it's Jesus when she turns around and sees him. She doesn't realize it's him here. Two verses later, he's going to say her name. And she does now. She is aware it's Jesus. So again, I don't think that he changed his appearance in these two verses. I think that she didn't realize it was Jesus. That's pivotal in our lives because how many times do I not realize that it's Jesus? Lord Jesus, how many times have I missed the fact that it was Jesus? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hmm. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? You notice he asked the same question the angels ask. There's no need for you to be crying. You ought to be rejoicing, Right? Um, why, as a side note, why are they asking these questions? Don't they know the understanding? Doesn't Jesus know why she's crying? Don't the angels know why she's crying? Isn't it obvious why she's crying? So I'll say again, the reason they're asking the questions is there's no need for you to be crying. Hopefully that makes sense. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. How many times have I thought Jesus was the gardener? There are times there have been tremendous blessings in my life, and I've missed them because I didn't know there were blessings. Jesus could be standing right in front of us today, and we could have missed it because our mind is so far somewhere else because we still don't understand from the Word of God. Thinking he was the gardener. Lord, forgive us when we think you're the gardener. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. This is undoubtedly the man that's tending to the graveyard, tending to the graves. Her first inclination is to apparently think that, you know, he had moved the body somewhere else. This was, uh, if you remember, this was uh, Joseph of Arimathea's, a very rich man's tomb that he was going to use for himself. So the gardener could have perhaps thought that this was a temporary laying place for Jesus. 
whatever it is. She thinks he's the gardener. And again, we see her faith here. You know, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. All right. Uh, there's no way she can single-handedly carry this the uh, a dead body, let alone that had been all the spices that had been put on it. But she's not concerned with that. Her heart, again, is for Jesus. We see this beautiful heart in this woman. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Now, verse 16. You remember in John, in the in, uh, I think it's John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I call them by name. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. When Jesus says her name, all of a sudden, Mary now realizes that it's Jesus. Jesus is saying your name today. And when Jesus says your name today, hear Jesus say your name today in this way that Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. When he says her name, she now recognizes that it's Jesus. If you're, a, if you're a child of God today, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he's saying your name today. And we want to turn toward him anew and afresh, as Mary did. Because we hear Jesus saying your name today. Verse 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Apparently, she hugs him when she sees him. It's interesting. Why does he tell her, do not hold on to me? I have not returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father. The situation has changed. She had, according to Luke 8, uh, walked with Jesus, helped support Jesus out of her own means. The reason Jesus says, do not hold on to me, is undoubtedly because the time of being comforted by Jesus' physical presence is coming to an end. He is going to ascend to the Father. He says, I'm returning to the Father. And she's not going to see him anymore physically for the rest of her life. So he wants her to understand now that the relationship she has to Jesus and her faith in Christ cannot anymore be based on physical manifestations of Christ. Ultimately, her faith in Christ is going to have to be in the word of God. Many of us today, we often have our faith in physical manifestations of God and physical manifestations of Jesus in physical miracles. Ultimately, the foundation of your faith needs to be in the word of God. You cannot look to hold on to, to things that Christ has done. We should remember them. We believe them. We're thankful for them. But Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Our faith ultimately is in Jesus Christ and in the word of God, because he's going away, it says, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And this is a lesson for us today, that we don't want to hold on to anything 
that's temporary. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene was given a was given a name, an incredible name by old church fathers, could be a thousand years ago, where she has been named the Apostle to the Apostles. Not only does Jesus appear to Mary first, but he then gives her instructions to give to his apostles. An apostle, uh, what an apostle means, an apostle is one who has been sent by Jesus. Mary Magdalene here is commissioned and sent by Jesus himself to give instructions to his apostles. Mary Magdalene has been called by the old church fathers, the apostle to the apostles. This woman is the first person to see Jesus alive. The reason she's the first person is she's the one that waited. She's the one that stayed right where Jesus was. She's the one that had the greatest heart to see Jesus alive. Therefore, she did see Jesus alive. Let that be our heart today. Mary Magdalene here is the apostle to the apostles. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you that Jesus Christ is risen. We thank you that the tomb is empty. Lord, we ask you to give us eyes that see you today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that ultimately you revealed yourself to Mary in spite of the fact that she did not believe your resurrection right away, I thank you for your mercy on her life. And ultimately, Lord, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. Father, I ask you to open our eyes today that we may see the risen Christ wherever we go. Open our eyes that the risen Jesus Christ, our Lord, would be visible to us wherever we go and whatever we do. I thank you, Father, for the word of God. We thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We love you and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.